The frigid South Pole, one of the last frontiers on Earth. Can events beyond the scope of time and space occur there? Do unexplainable creatures roam that dark corner of our planet? I'm Rob Kinnison, and this is Voices in the Cold. There's a lot of patient things that do happen. Influencing the media. A statue physically moved up in front of her. I think everything can be explained eventually. We're pretty much doomed. Area 51, the pyramids. Conspiracy theories. I believe that people believe that. Being contacted by God. Giant white light. I'm betting on first contact. I have no idea what the scientists are working on. I know what you're thinking. Who is this Rob person? Why is there music? What happened to Ron? Well, this can all be answered. And I think I owe you an explanation of sorts. Who is this Rob person? My name is Rob Kinnison. I live in Ohio. I'm a computer scientist and amateur musician. Why is there music? Well, podcasts need some tunes, so seeing as how I'm an amateur musician, it was cheaper to make it myself than to pay someone else to do it. What happened to Ron? This one is a little harder to explain. I haven't lied to you. Not much, anyway. You see, Ronald Diffio was a real man. He was my great uncle. But he died before I ever met him. I have vague memories of his wife Barbara that may be some of my first memories, or maybe fabrications from being told the stories so often. Barbara's will left the home she and Ron lived in to my cousin, Michael Teambaugh. I remember when I was around Michael during the rare occasions he would get dragged to family gatherings. He would always look at me with his bright, bright eyes and say, Mikey's coming for you. And I would run. I never knew what he would do if he caught me, but it scared the crap out of baby Rob. Anyway, when Michael was sentenced to life in prison, the deed for the land went through a convoluted game of snakes and ladders that only a lawyer could follow and ended up in my hands. Michael must have been lacking in the skill of housekeeping because every weekend of the following months was spent tossing garbage bags full of cigarette butts, broken furniture, and enough beer bottles for me to start my own brewery. I would have made a fortune from recycling all the beer bottles, but the ones that weren't broken were half-filled with a brown sludge I don't want to describe further. I saved the attic for last because of how dusty it was. My asthma, you see, does not get along well with airborne particulate. When I finally donned my protective mask, opened the pull-down staircase, and ascended, looking like a third-rate comic book villain, I found a box of old recordings my great-uncle must have made. Most everything that had belonged to my great-aunt and my great-uncle had been broken or presumably pawned, so I just had to keep this one thing that was once theirs. I brought it home. It's harder than you might think to find a way to listen to old 8-track recordings but the always-on-tap garage sale of Craigslist and enough bravery to meet a stranger in the back alley of a rundown part of town brought a player to me. 
I personally thought the tapes were hilarious. The thought of how much effort my great uncle had to put into making something to troll whoever he could convince to listen to it reminded me of something I would do. I figure I'd post the memorable tapes online as a podcast and maybe some people would get a kick out of it. That was the whole plan. Until now. I remember he was always joking around. He was the first one to make a bad joke or a pun about something. That's Jennifer Hauser, my great aunt. Ron was her brother. He always tried to make everyone laugh whenever things got uncomfortable or quiet. Like, our sister Mildred was always complaining about her garage. She said the boxes out there took up too much space for her to park her car in the garage. I can't remember a day I saw her since she moved into that house that she didn't bring it up. Everyone asked her why she didn't move the boxes. She said they were too heavy for her. Everyone offered to help her move the boxes. She refused any help. One day, on her 83rd birthday, when everyone was at her house, she said she was finally going to move them damn boxes. She stood up, had a heart attack, and died right there. A few days later, at the funeral, Ron was shaking and had his hands on his face. I thought I was, he was crying, so I put my hand on his shoulder, and that's when I noticed he wasn't crying. He was trying to keep himself from laughing. I was appalled. I asked him in no polite terms what was so funny. He said, I guess she didn't really want to move those boxes. <laughs> that's, that's actually pretty funny. It sounds like he was a pretty funny guy. Yeah. Like I said, he always tried to make people laugh when they were upset or uncomfortable. So, what about his time in Antarctica? <laughs> oh, he had this cock and bull story about how he went to Antarctica. You kids loved it. So, he never actually went? I have vague memories of him talking about his time in Antarctica. Wasn't his job a janitor? Something of a family joke when I was like four? I remember him talking about it in the kitchen. If he managed to get off the continent, then it wasn't long enough for me to notice. We never lived more than an hour or so away from each other and kept in touch. He usually told the Antarctica story to new people at Christmas dinner or such. I think he did it to test out how much he could get away with around them. So Ron was a troll. Oh, no, he was a very cheery man. <laughs> no, it's... It's slang... Uh, never mind. Anyway, do you remember anything about the story he told about being in Antarctica? The story was different every time. I think there were some things that were always the same. Anyway, sometimes there was a secret battle for control of some ancient artifact with the Nazis. Sometimes there were aliens that crash-landed. Sometimes there were monsters from underneath the snow that had been sleeping for thousands of years. I'm starting to sound like him now. That brings me back. Yes, but there was always a doctor who had been friends with Ron for years and managed to get him through the government security and that sort of thing so he could go to Antarctica. The doctor always died in a heroic sacrifice that allowed Ron to swoop in and save the day at the last moment. We ended up saying that the only thing he could have been competent enough to do in Antarctica was janitorial work. So that became worked into the story as well. 
So, when I was cleaning up the house, I... How is the old place? I'd love to see it again. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a bit of a pain to get cleaned up. Uh, I imagine, after everything. Uh-huh. But you should come by soon. I'll make dinner. I'd like that. Great. But yeah, when I was cleaning up the house, I found these tapes. They seem to be recordings Ron made when he was in Antarctica. They've got some pretty scary stuff on them. I assumed they were just an elaborate joke Ron put together, and based on your description of him, that sounds exactly like something he would do. Oh my goodness, these have Ron's voice on them? Yeah, and he says he's broadcasting from a radio in Antarctica. I don't know how he supposedly recorded the live broadcast, but yeah, it, it's him. Do you think I could listen to them? Of course. Uh, but first, can we talk about the voicemail? You mean the message you left me? I, I didn't leave it. That's why we're doing the interview. It's the inciting incident. Sure. Well, should I play it for the microphone? Uh, first, what happened? Where were you when the voicemail came in? I was working on some new baking recipes. My husband just got diagnosed with diabetes, so I've been trying to adjust our meals. Then you missed a call? What number was it from? It was on my computer. It did have a bunch of numbers. So it was an email. Can you show me the message? Jennifer boots up her laptop and the Windows 7 splash screen crawls from 2009 to die on her screen. I consider offering to help her out with the dozens of programs offering free emojis and thorough virus scans before I realize I don't want to be on-call tech support for her 24-7. If you're listening, Jennifer, uh, sorry. She pulls up an email from rob at heart.void. Mmm, probably a scam. The subject line says, important. Ah, shit, definitely a scam. At this point, I'm sure that the body of the email will say that it's from me and that I need her bank account numbers to get out of drug charges or some archaic law in Louisiana, but it's not. The body simply reads 7-12C9-6-8-0-0-0-and for about four lines. But the main thing is the audio attachment. Yes. That's the message you left me. But we'll get back to that. So you're saying that the characters from Ron's recordings, with the first season of the podcast, were real, actual scientists? Most of them, yeah. There are a few that I couldn't find any records or anything of, but uh, yeah, from what I can confirm, they were one guy, Dr. Um, Daniel Bloomberg, had no record of death. No death certificate, no nothing. That's Moira Jenkins. She's a master of Google Foo, her family's unofficial historian, and my friend. I asked her to help me with some of the research on this, and she went a little ham. May still be alive, though. Uh, he'd be 73. That's crazy. Um, where does he live? If he lives close enough, we should go talk to him. Uh, last known address. I saw that somewhere. Let me pull this up. Uh, it was here. He lived in an apartment outside of Chicago in 1998 with his grandson and his grandson's wife, Mr. and Mrs. Bloomberg. That's a bit far to drive, considering <laughs> he might not even live there anymore. Well, I mean, he might not live there, but the current residents might know. It might even still be Mr. and Mrs. Bloomberg. That's true. Let's keep that in mind. What else did you find? Almost everything I found backs up what's on those recordings. 
Harold Bright's study, Biology at Brown University in Rhode Island. His dissertation was on avian evolution in isolated environments. He was the biologist that Ron talked about. Uh, Daniel Bloomberg, we already talked about, studied geology abroad at Imperial College London. Um, Michael Kennedy, physician in New Hampshire for a dozen years before volunteering to go to Antarctica, where he died of hypothermia. Jesus, and the guy really did his homework. Why not just bullshit it? Why did he make up such an elaborate lie? That's not all. Michael Kennedy's body was never recovered, just like the recordings. What? No way. Wait. The historical things about Archibald McMurdo, Mary Shab, and Gauss, your uncle supposedly read from, are all backed up by my research online as well. But there are two things that I couldn't validate. Uh, the first thing is the journal chronicling the crash of the endurance. Well, that part seemed too crazy to be true. It's like something out of a pulp novel. No, there was an HMS endurance, and it did get stuck in Antarctica in November of 1915. There are photos of it sinking and everything, and the crew had to make camp ashore, but they were eventually rescued. Uh, there's no record of people wandering off in the middle of the night with symptoms of hypothermia. None of them talked about marine creatures that ripped the ship apart. With their strong, muscular <laughs> tongues. I love that part. The other issue I found was a little more ominous. Ooh, do tell. I couldn't find any record of anyone named Frederick Glass on any Antarctic expedition, ever. Well, that's the guy that got eaten by the void leeches. Void leeches? Well, that's what I call them. I assumed whatever was eating time-space in my uncle's story was the leech things that scuttled the endurance and that the biologist was watching. You asked me why Ron did all this research just to get a spooky story. Well, either your great-uncle based everything on fact and then made up a character who got eaten by the void leeches, as you so eloquently put it just for this moment for people like you and me to do all the research find out that everything's true except for this one thing and then it's like the greatest prank of all time or or it's all true <laughs> uh there are void leeches eating reality and we can never know because we won't remember it what happens ah. but but if all history is erased of what happened how is there the recording? If Frederick Glass got deleted from ever existing, how did Ron ever record himself talking about Frederick? Or, it's all an elaborate prank? Hmm? But there seems to be more going on here. Let's listen to that audio attachment I supposedly sent to Jennifer. Pretty spooky, huh? So, first things first. That email address, rob at heart.void, it doesn't exist. It must have been a burner. A temporary email people use to set up accounts so they don't need to get overloaded with spam. On a side note, you should really set up a burner email account if you haven't already. There are tons of resources online for them. 
Anyway, I did some audio finagling and was able to isolate this. There are definitely other voices in there, but I'm having a hard time isolating them and making them intelligible. This one, however, is definitely coordinates. I looked them up, and it seems to be a secluded graveyard about two or three hours away from my new house. So basically, I've got to check this out. This is a mystery like you'd read about. This is something real, and I'm dying to get to the bottom of this. Was Ron ever actually in Antarctica? Where is Daniel Bloomberg? What is in that graveyard? I've got a bunch of work to do at my new home, so it will take a while for me to go out and see exactly what's there, but I figured this whole investigation could be a continuation of the podcast. I'll be heading there soon. Now you're up to speed. You know everything I do. I've set up a Patreon page to help fund these investigations. I only get money when I post an episode, not every month. Every dollar helps, and maybe with enough support we can go to Chicago and talk to those Bloombergs. We'll figure out this mystery together. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on Voices in the Cold.